Long before Cleo Lemon found Greg Camarillo for the walk-off 64-yard touchdown pass that would lift the Miami Dolphins to their lone win of the 2007 season, he endured a challenge-filled odyssey that rivaled even the most fabled of Greek heroes. Too short, they roll out the turf in the parking lot of this arena. Oh, wow. In the parking lot of this arena <laughs> with the turf on the parking lot. We're getting dressed out of the trunk of our cars. This is how we go to practice every day. I got this beat up viewer. I got all my football stuff in. So I pull up to this makeshift field in this parking lot with this turf on the country and we practice. I'm OJ McDuffie, a two-time Dolphins team MVP. And I'm Seth Levitt, a former member of the team's media relations department. And today in the fish tank, we're joined by one of the 23 different men who have started at quarterback for Miami since Dan Marino retired and learn of his story of perseverance that makes him stand out in the crowd. Hey, DJ Preach, it's time to dive in. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, man, this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one. one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the fish tank right here on the Miami Dolphins I'm Podcast Network, Seth Levitt, DJ Preach is on the ones and twos somewhere back there, and my main man, OJ McDuffie, Juice, how are we feeling today? Feeling great, Big Seth. You know how it is, man. We get to rolling with some of the guys. And every time we say it on my side of football, Your man. Your side you of the football. Especially the guys going to get to the rock, right? All day, man. You know, you got to love that part of that position right there, man. You know, White House always love their QBs, bro. So, yeah, it's a great day right here in the tank. Making friends. I like it. Well, with that, <laughs> no, no, uh, really no introduction needed. We're going to talk about that. But Cleo Lemon dives into the fish tank. Cleo, how you doing, man? Doing great, guys. I appreciate the invite. Looking forward to it and, you know, hopefully have some fun today. Uh, we're going to have a good time. There's no yeah, doubt about that. Definitely have some fun. That's for Juice, sure. Juice, you're usually the coolest guy in the tank, but I don't know. Cleo's got know. the shades on today, man. He's no, doing it. No, man. I wasn't ready. He <laughs> caught me off guard, dog. He, caught, he ready, man. He ready for show. Hey, you got to stay ready so you have to get ready. That's, right. That's it. That's it. Spoken <laughs> like a quarterback, isn't he? I love right. it. That's right. So, so look, Cleo. The Miami Dolphins, and you probably heard this number back when you played and the number has grown, but the Miami Dolphins have had 23 different starting quarterbacks since Dan Marino retired following the 1999 season, right? 23 starting quarterbacks. I'd be lying to the people listening and they would know it right away if I said that like a ton of those 23 had memorable experiences here. Um, but I also think, and and this is kind of fascinating to me, but I also think it's safe to say that that you're someone – that most fans remember in some way, shape, or form. They remember you. I think that when they see your name come up in the feed that, uh, you know, oh, there's a new Fish Tank episode. Oh, shit, Cleo Lemon. Like they're going to have that kind of a positive reaction. And so I'm trying to kind of put, you know, put my finger on it, wrap my head around it. Do you get that same experience when you encounter Miami Dolphins fans? And if so, what do you think the reason for that is? Is it as simple as, well, hell, he hit Camarillo on that play, and that's what we always remember? Is it because he had a pretty cool name? Like, what what has your experience been in the years following your Dolphins tenure? I would say more than anything, following it is everybody, and, and this is the question I get most of all, are about the people um, I was fortunate enough to be in the locker room with, and then also playing for Nick Saban. I think that aspect of people wanting to know how Nick Saban 
handle their professional environment versus all the success he's had on the collegiate level. Right. That's much has been the topic of discussion whenever I encounter golfer fans. They want to know more about Nick Saban and how he handled, you know, pros versus amateurs on the college level. Yeah, we've heard a lot of that on this yeah, show. Yeah. <laughs> Keith Trailer probably didn't think it went well, did he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've heard a lot about that. And I think I think Nick decided it was best for him to be at Alabama, to be the head football right. coach at Alabama, right? He was right, right? Because uh, it's a different world up there in the pro level, and uh, I think he found that out literally a hard way, I think. It was a total, totally different experience for him. And I just thought he was an amazing coach, first of all, the, the knowledge of the game, and then his command of the locker room, right? He was a, a, a type of guy that was in – total control of everything and he knew what was going on from free agency to draft like everything down the hallways who was talking to who he was you know involved in every aspect of the business and you got to respect the man for his hard work and dedication yeah he definitely didn't half step that's for damn sure i mean he's always got a attention to detail is probably something he said a lot i'm sure in the process. And I think he had, Seth, didn't he have the most coaches like in NFL history on staff? Just he that? had a lot of coaches and he paid them a lot of money and then he beat the hell out of them from what I understand. He was rough on them. Absolutely, man. He was tough on his coaches. I think the players respected that, right? He held everyone accountable in the building. And, and OJ, you know, as a player, man, that's what you want everybody to do. Yeah. And, and that's basically what he did, man. He was an amazing guy. You know, I think for him, the way he treated me, I don't know what it was, but, man, he would always bring me into his office. He would always encourage me. He was almost, in a sense, just trying to develop me to be the best quarterback possible. And at that time, I was the third guy on the roster. So I didn't have a chance to even sniff the field. But I just remember those times having those meetings with him. It just really growing as a player and as a person just through his leadership. And we're going to get to more about Nick and, and just what was going on in those two years. Uh, we're definitely going to do that. And I don't want to force something that isn't there. So much has been talked about with the quarterback situation here in Miami. Hopefully they found a quarterback that's going to be here for a long time, Tua Tungavailoa, speaking of Nick Saban. But, you know, a lot of guys came through here. Fans don't always have fond memories of all those guys, but they seem to, again, there's this affinity for when your name pops up. And so I, I wondered if you had positive experiences when you run into people. Man, you know, whenever you have an opportunity to run out of that tunnel, as an NFL quarterback, man, that was a, a lifetime dream of mine, man. Having to put in that type of work over the years, right? You just don't start out on the college level. It was a culmination of years of work. And to think back at myself as a young kid, dreaming to one day be in the NFL, and then getting to high school and, and having some success and not knowing, you know, how recruiting was going to go if I was going to sign a Division One scholarship. And then you get a break with that, and you, you go in there, you take advantage of that opportunity, you have those experiences, make those relationships. And then to get on the pro level, and to think about all the guys I played with that never got a chance to touch that field. And I was fortunate enough to do that. Those are memories I will never forget, man. And, and having that, no matter where I was at, but being a part of the Dolphins organization, that was an amazing opportunity, man. And I have nothing but fond memories and great times and great relationships from my time with the Dolphins. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that, you know, your, your memories here at the Dolphins. But I, I like to go back a little bit. Sometimes people 
talk about where you're at now or, you know, when you were with the Dolphins. But let's go back to back in the day, like where you grew up, you know, a little bit. You grew up in, in Greenwood, Mississippi, which we know so many great players came out of SIP. We've had a few few of those guys on. But there's also a rich history of blues musicians from Greenwood, including like Robert Jones and Guitar Slim, guys like that, Hubert Sumlin uh, and some of the others, man. And you also, I mean, you played for your father, Cleo Lemon Sr. at Greenwood High School. Then you head off to Arkansas State. You had a hell of a career. You leave as the, the all-time pass leader and all these all the accolades that come with great quarterback play. But when I look at the roster and the guys that were on your team, it's like um, I had a hard time finding these guys that could potentially be NFL players on that offense. Right. Can you talk about what it was like to you know, play at a high level but to know that a lot of guys you're playing with probably won't get to the next level and then uh, still be motivated and be able to motivate them and inspire them at the same time. When I talk to the younger generation about having dreams, having goals in life, you know, I can relate to all of it. I wasn't a five-star recruit coming out of Greenwood, Mississippi. I never attended any camps. Like, I never went camping, right? Never attended a Division One football camp. Never had that experience. Never had the exposure of being recruited on that type of level. I was a small-town kid with a dad who was hard-nosed, right? I'm talking about an OG in my community. He was a coach that was a father to a lot of my teammates and was a, a, a big instrumental part in my community. So for me, I experienced that, and I know what it felt to give back. I know what it felt to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. So I had a pride in my community. I had pride in my high school, and I took it serious. And what I always wanted to do was just work, let the work speak for itself, have a work ethic. And then having those experiences, and the crazy part is, this year we're celebrating our 25-year high school reunion. So I'm about to go home. Youngsters. Yeah, man. This is a puppy, a dude. This is a puppy. School. Yeah, man. Hey, and, and, and to see a bunch of my high school teammates and classmates I hadn't seen in years, but also, just to put this out there, your name is Juice. My name is Juice. So everybody- Oh, wait a minute. I didn't find this in the research. I love that. Town calls me Juice. So if you hear Juice, you know they're from Greenwood, right? <laughs> so my dad gave me that name as a kid. So when I grew up, my dad always called me Juice. Wow. So that nickname has stuck with me forever. And, man, I rep it to this day, man. So to see this name on the screen, man, it warms <laughs> my heart. You know what I'm saying? What a great surprise. I had no idea. So that that's crazy. So why, why did he call you Juice? Well, obviously, you know, last name Lemon. You know, you got the whole Lemon Juice deal. But the story my dad used to tell was, man, as a kid, I wouldn't drink nothing but juice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they tried to get me to drink water and milk and all this other stuff. It was like, nah, man, you wanted that juice. So that's what I it's up, and that's what I called you, and that's what all my friends called me from my, you know, from my hometown. My wow. big one, everybody calls me juice, man. That's what's up, man. You know, you talk about, I know football, but I know a lot of guys like yourself and myself, you know, we play different sports, man. Did you play anything else in high school, or was it just focused on football? And also, were you recruited to play any other positions at the college level? So growing up, I played every sport. Right. Mm -hmm. So baseball was my first organized sport. And then my transition into basketball. But my dad was the basketball coach. So he coached me in high school. So he was the varsity basketball coach. I was a, a starting a two guard on the, on the basketball team. 
And then I also, you know, play football. But I was a well-rounded athlete. I played every sport. To this day, I always tell the younger generation, don't lock yourself into one sport. Because when you play multiple sports, you learn different skills. And and it enhances your athletic ability. So I was always up for any sport that was being played, man. I was always, I was just a big sports guy. I, I was always outside. I never really played video games. I have mm-hmm. friends that did that, but I was never into that stuff. I was outside all day, every day. And you it, still I, are. Yeah, and, and, and I still am. I'm an outdoor type of guy. <laughs> yeah. I, love to, I love to play golf. I love to be out at the beach with my family. So it's always an opportunity for me to be outside in this fresh air, man. That's where you're going to find me. And then the second question you asked me was pertaining to my recruitment. Yes. So being recruited, you know, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't on everybody's radar. I was a late bloomer. So my senior year, I had an incredible year. Mississippi State started recruiting me. Ole Miss recruited me a little bit. But Southern Miss was really the school that was really after me. And then Arkansas State came into the picture late. And I had some HBCUs like Tennessee State, Mississippi Valley State. They were recruiting me. My mom was a professor at Mississippi Valley State. Oh, wow. We actually used to live on campus over there. So I knew, you know, I knew everybody over there. The assistant men's basketball coach was my next-door neighbor. He was an assistant at Mississippi Valley. So we had all these connections to the school. Plus, my mom and dad were graduates from there. My mm. dad was a basketball player for Mississippi Valley. So I had all kind of community ties to the school. So I really was leaning towards that direction. But when Arkansas State came in, Southern Miss came in, I really narrowed it down to those two programs. And I was only recruited as a quarterback. And I signed okay. as a quarterback to go to Arkansas State and, and enjoyed every every minute of it. Now, isn't Mississippi Valley State, is that Jerry Rice as well? That's Jerry that's Rice. Jerry, that's Willie Titan. You know, yeah. that, that's, you know, that's Ashley Ambrose. That's a lot of players that came through there, the really, really great players, a lot of rich tradition. And it's good to see where that HBCU is going right now, man. I'm, I'm all behind it. I support it and, and really love what's going on in that space. I'm shocked to hear that they weren't able they, to close I, the deal when you were a legacy. Yeah, like I'm that. surprised, Mom was too. working there. She, that, she had to have a tough time going back to work. Hey, man, she wanted me to go out and see, the, see different things. So she wasn't going to, respect that. you know, pay me to go there. She wanted me to go experience life. And I told her I wanted to get away from home. So that's really what it came down to. So, I, you know, I'm going to take things a step further from what, you know, Juice was talking about. The fact that we were looking at these rosters and the only one that had a little NFL next to it was, you know, in four years on offense was, was your name. And maybe our source was wrong there. But a lot of guys didn't make it to the next level. But again, taking it to a step further, draft rolls around, you know, as productive as you were in college. You don't get drafted. You find yourself in 2001 in Green Bay. Here's Brett Favre. So, yeah, I mean, that might be a tough one to crack. And you really had to fight and claw. There was an opportunity in Baltimore. Next thing you know, you're playing arena ball. Was there ever a time that you kind of had to have some self-reflection and said, you know, maybe maybe my goal is just to make a roster and, and not to be a starter? Or was there a scenario where, like, maybe maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up on this football thing and, and try something else? Yeah, it's crazy because a lot of people really don't know my story, right? I didn't take the ordinary path to the NFL. Like these first-round picks, right? The guys who oh, they roll out the red man. carpet for. <laughs> There's one juice in here who knows what that felt like. That's all I'm saying. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's a great blessing, but uh, a little deeper than that, man. When I finished my senior year at Arkansas State, 
my play my senior year with a knee brace on, right? So I had this knee brace on. I was dragging this knee around, man, mm. all year. And I had injured my knee my junior year, at the end of my junior year. And played on it, you know, my, my senior year. And it never really, I never really felt comfortable. The brace was holding me back. It was just a lot of unknowns, right? So I get the invite to the NFL Combine. Man, that was the Michael Vick year that he went over all the Damian Thomason trade and all that. Really great draft. So I was there with a bunch of, of talented quarterbacks. Man, a bunch of guys that were really good players. But I went there and, man, I filled every physical at the mm. combine. Wow. There were two teams that passed me. Actually, three. Maybe four. I think it was Green Bay. It was Jets. I want to say the Ravens and uh, the Giants, I think. So I failed every physical. Nobody passed me on a physical. Wow. When the draft rolls around, my agent is telling me, I'm with Jimmy Sexton out of, at the time out of Memphis. Mm -hmm. It was like, we're hearing that you might go around the fifth round. I was like, cool. I, hey, I, whatever I can, however I can get in there, I can get in there. Well, don't hear my name call. I got a couple calls with un unrestricted free agency. One to sign. I signed with Green Bay. I go there. Guys, I spent the day at Green Bay. I was there for a day. I go there. The team doctor looks at me. He fails me on the physical. And they had passed you at the combine. They had passed me at the combine, right? So the team guy is sitting there on the phone. He's like, look, you got to go to have surgery. You have a partially torn ACL. This thing is going to snap on you eventually. You got to mm. go have surgery. So this guy was amazing. He picks up the phone. He's like, I know a guy. I'm going to call him. All right? He calls Dr. Andrews from Health South right there in front of me. Hey, I got a kid. We're going to release him. He's going to have to have surgery. I'm going to recommend him. You go down there, get your surgery, boom, boom, boom. All right? Long story short, I'm out of the league. So now I go back to school, talk to my head coach, say, Coach, man, I got to have surgery. Remind you, I played on my senior year. Mm -hmm. So the school took care of it. I go have surgery. Now that's my first year out of the league, but I'm back at Arkansas State as a student coach, and I'm running the scout team. The street oh, wow. Coach. I'm the scout team. <laughs> I was just the starting quarterback for four years. The next year, I'm the scout team quarterback in street clothes. Wait a second. I thought so when you said you were running the scout team, you were running it as a coach. You were running it as the quarterback? Coach, you, no. Hold on. <laughs> you go from – when you leave the school, you are the all-time leading passer in the history of Arkansas State. Yards, yeah. all these statistics. And then you show up, and then the guys who sat behind you, you're now the scout team guy? Now I'm the – because they – I never heard some shit like that, Juice. Me they, either, man. It was like, man, we're not going to have a better <laughs> quarterback. If you win it, you can stay sharp. You can make all the throws. You can do your rehab. Yeah. You love <laughs> I'm like, oh, no doubt. Let me yeah. do it. So I wow. ran the scout the entire year as I'm rehabbing on my own. I'm doing my own rehab. That's right? nuts. So I do that. All right. I get cleared by Dr. Andrews. Now I'm back training. I'm back working out for teams. So now I, I got to work out with the Ravens, right? Blessings, man. Man, these ain't nothing but blessings. I had a chance to meet James Shaq Harris. James Shaq Harris, man, a blessing. Met him, he signed me. He said, look, I'm going to send you to NFL Europe. He said, look, this is going to be an opportunity for you. I'm just giving you an opportunity. Go show me what you can do. We'll go from there. Well, I go to NFL Europe. We're in Tampa. I'm just getting clear for my knee surgery. I'm with the Berlin Thunder. So I'm down there with the Berlin Thunder. I 
think it was Todd Husak from Stanford, who was another quarterback on the roster. Tim Hasselback was from Boston College. So it was all three of us. We battling it out. I don't know how none of this works. They're about to cut me because these two guys have been allocated to them. They can't cut them. They have to mm, go. Right. So I don't know how none of this works. So Peter Voss, who's the head coach, pulls me to the office. He's like, look, man, I'm going to put you on the – I'm going to put you on the practice squad. And you're going to go over to Europe with us as a practice player. You let me know what you want to do. I'm like, okay, cool. That's fair. Let me call my agent. So I called the agent. He's like, look, it might be better for you to go back to the Ravens and start doing minicamp instead of going over here for the season on the practice squad. So he called Shaq, James Shaq Harris, asked him what he wanted us to do. Shaq was like, hey, go. Figure it out. If you get a chance to play, that'll be awesome so you can get some film." When I go over there, I was over there for a month, man. My first time out of the country, great experience, man. Over in Berlin, hanging out with my team, enjoying life. Wasn't playing, but I was practicing. The Ravens called me back for minicamp. They was like, look, you're not getting reps, you're not getting film, come back. So I went back, did training camp with them. I ended up getting cut. So now I'm at the league for another year. So I'm out of the league for two years. Hadn't played any football. Other than training. A lot of practice. Right. It's on the practice field. And I wasn't getting many reps. That was the year Jeff Blake took over in Baltimore. That was the year Chris Redman was there. So I was there with them. Great guys, man. They helped me a lot. But I ended up getting cut. So I'm out of the league for two years. So when you talk about having doubts and trying to figure things out, yeah, I, I, I faced all that. I totally faced it. I was, you know, disappointed, you know, in a position to where, hey, look, maybe this is not for me. I don't know what I'm about to do now. You know, I got to go get a job, right? But I kept working out for some reason. I just kept training, kept working out. And then all of a sudden, one of my boys called me and was like, hey, we got this opportunity for you to play Arena 2 football in Memphis, Tennessee with the Memphis Explorers. So I go to Memphis. I'm out there training, working, putting the team together. I'm playing for Dan Barto. Great guy. Great experience. We're training, getting ready for the season. They roll out on carpet. True story. They roll out the turf in the parking lot of this arena. Oh, wow. In the parking lot of this arena <laughs> with the turf on the parking lot. Holy shit. <laughs> we're getting dressed out, out of the trunk of our cars. This is how we go to practice every day. I got this beat up viewing. I got all my football stuff in it. So I pull up to this makeshift field in this parking lot with this turf on the concrete. And we practiced. Unbelievable. So then I had an opportunity to reach out to one of my former coaches. He was at the University of Memphis. He was office coordinator, Randy Finkman. Great guy. The Lord has put so many people in my life to help me along this journey. It's been amazing. So I go over to Randy. I said, look, you guys have a pro day coming up. You guys got some great prospects. I think they had Wade Smith, who ended up getting drafted by the Dolphins. Office yeah, Lyman. he did. That's a whole other story, yep. but yes, he did. <laughs> he was, that was his draft year, and they had another receiver slash quarterback who was getting highly scouted. So I go over there, just out the blue. Actually, strength coach who actually trained me for the combine. I had a personal relationship with him, asked him could I compete in the pro day. He was like, sure, come out. So now I'm at this pro day. All these NFL scouts are there. They hadn't seen me in two years. Right. But I'm in great shape. I'm in great shape. My home is live. I go out there, work out. And from that pro day, I get four workouts scheduled. 
from that one pro day. We're a week away from starting our arena season. So I go to Bartow. I said, Bartow, man, I got to go do these. I got to go do these workouts. You have to. I got to no go. Doubt. I got to go see what's going on. He was like, man, go do what you got to do. The game is next week. Just be back. Give me a day or two. <laughs> Be prepared. I mean, you're That's practicing right. in the fucking parking lot. What's he going to say? No, you can't go? Like, <laughs> so, so I didn't have an agent at the time. I had no agent. None. I called Kyle Rowe Jr. He was my man from Jimmy Sexton's firm in Memphis. I said, Kyle, I need a huge favor, man. I need to get these workouts orchestrated. They're going to fly me in. I need some help. Can you help me? He was like, Cleo, what do you need me to do? He set up Four workouts. I had like a week and a half to do all these workouts. And he set them up. I was supposed to go to San Diego first, Green Bay second. Then I was supposed to go to Miami, and I was supposed to go to the Jets. Back to back to back to back. So in my mind, I'm getting on this flight out to Cali. I've never been to Cali before. I got San Diego, my first workout. So I said, look, this is it. I'm not leaving here without a contract. So I get there to, to the Chargers facility. They were still in San Diego at the time. And it's a, basically a mini combine. It was maybe 25 to 30 of us out there at a workout. Receivers, running backs, tight ends, everybody's out there. Quarterbacks, so it's me and like four other quarterbacks. So they need bodies for minicamp, and I didn't know this. So I go out there, and I'm just flinging it all over the field, right? We get done, we shower up, we all sit in the locker room. They tap me on the shoulder, come upstairs, we need to talk to you. I had heard that plenty of times. So I get up there. Walk in, it's Marty Schottenheimer. <laughs> Marty said, Cleo, man, you had a great workout. We want to sign you. Really? He said, yes. We're going to sign you to a standard one-year contract, unrestricted free agent. Do you have an agent? I said, no, I don't have an agent. You're looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what do you want to do? I said, you got a pen? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's how I made it to the NFL. Wow. So when you talk about giving up, you talk about a journey, you talk about, you know, off the beaten path, man, I lived that, man. I was grinding. Mm. I was grinding, man, and, and I still reflect on that to this day, knowing that, you know, if you give me an opportunity, I'm going to do my best to take advantage of it. Man, oh, man. Well, let's talk about that experience with the Chargers, man. You enter a room, a quarterback room. I mean, it's got Drew Brees. Philip Rivers, even Doug Flutie might have been there. I mean, what was it like for a young man that's been grinding like that to try to make it in the league at that position? And actually, you look at the rest of the team, the talent, Antonio Gates and the Damian Thomason, guys like that. You know, of course, we talked to Camarillo a little stacked. bit, man. Stacked in there, man. What was that experience like, man? Especially somebody that's been, honestly, a journeyman at that point. Man, it was it was like being in a dream, right? You see these, these sports movies, and it's like, man, this is this is what it feels like. I can remember being in that quarterback room knowing that I was just a fly on the wall learning as much as I could. And those guys were amazing. Doug Flutie, a legend. Man, he was just an open book for me. Drew Brees, an open book for me. And then Phil came in as a first-round pick, man. That guy had it from day one. When I say he had the personality, he had the ability to connect with everyone in the locker room just to see how he did it. That was amazing to see. But for the most part, the thing I do remember about making that team was me and Antonio Gates, we were in the fourth huddle together. Wow. Antonio was – Right, because he's a basketball player at that point, right? Tim Brewster, who was his position coach, was teaching him how to get in the three-point stance when we were in minicamp. Wow. So 
Unreal. All of this is transpiring. And the way I made that team was, for some reason, this guy that came off the basketball court, every time I threw him the ball, he would catch it. <laughs> How great is that? <laughs> I don't care where I threw it in practice. He would always catch it. How long did it take you to figure that out, Cleo, that you're going to throw every ball to him and you're going to look really good? It didn't take me long. And when those (laughs) games start rolling around, I said, I don't care who Antonio Gates is. I am throwing him the ball. Oh, that's a great story. He is probably one of the main reasons I made the Chargers roster as a practice squad player because I threw every ball in the preseason. (laughs) Antonio Gates, who's now, no doubt in my mind, he's going into the Hall of Fame. Oh, no doubt. He'd probably be yeah, a first, first ballot, ballot guy. guy. No doubt about it. So that's what I remember my first year with the Chargers. Man, that's so that's so funny because remember Camarillo told us that, you know, you guys are just trying to give him the best scout look. You know, going from Arkansas State and street clothes as a scout guy to trying to give these guys the best scout look you can get. He didn't even tell us that Antonio Gates was part of the whole program as well. It makes it look real good out there. Yeah, but I think it's crazy. Cam- I think Camarillo came in that next year or either that year after. Oh, okay. So Gates at that point was like a dude. He was by the time Greg got there, Antonio was a dude. He was he was a really good player, man. That's great stuff. Well, there was another guy in San Diego that you would meet up with uh, here in Miami as well, and, and I don't mean Greg Camarillo. <laughs> uh, that was Cam Cameron. Okay, Cam Cameron, a name that probably doesn't make Dolphins fans smile in the same way that I said that your name might make them smile. Uh, just not remembered as fondly in these parts. Uh, but I, I'm guessing that. He might have been a fan of yours in some way, shape, or form because your worlds collided, and I thought he brought you here, and then I went back and looked at it, and I was like, nah, Cleo was here for a couple years before Cam Cameron was even a thought. So would you say that your time in San Diego with Cam Cameron as the offensive coordinator proved to be an asset once he got here as the head coach in Miami? Because ultimately you got your most playing time under him, and and we're going to talk about those circumstances in a minute. But, uh, you know, I'm just wondering how that familiarity played out once he became the head coach here. Yeah, I think, honestly, when I first had the opportunity to be around him, he was a great offensive mind. The guy was really smart. He taught me a lot of football. Him and Brian Schottenheimer, who was my position coach, they invested and poured into me. So I always worked my tail off for him. I always respected the way he approached the game especially the way he game planned, the way he challenged us to learn the game plan. He was a really cerebral guy. So I learned a lot of football from him. So that relationship just kind of developed over time. And then as we continue to grow as a young football team, that San Diego Chargers football team, when I was a part of it, we were young. All of us were young. That roster was young. Mm -hmm. All of us was coming up together. So I kind of felt that team had a real strong bond. We all hung out together. It was just a really cool environment to have all those young guys at the same time learning and growing. And it was under the leadership of Marty Schottenheimer that it was able to happen. But Cam, man, Cam was sharp, man. So when I was traded to the Dolphins, like I said before, I had the opportunity to play for Nick Saban. And then eventually Cam was hired. You know, I felt good about it. I just knew that with the weapons we had, I just thought that he could put it together and we would be a dynamic offensive team. So what the hell went wrong? I don't, and that's a great question. I'm not sure. We had a great defense. You know, JT had won a defensive player of the year. Uh, I want to say that year before. He was doing some incredible things on the field. I know you spoke about Big Truck before. Truck was out there stopping the run, 
Zach Thomas was flying around. It was just a lot of energy going in the right direction. But one thing I can say about Cam Cameron's tenure, we did have a lot of injuries. So that year, we had a ton of injuries. We had a ton of guys to go out on IR. We was plugging and playing. Unfortunately, that's how I got my opportunity to play because someone went down. You right. know, it, it, those things happen. It's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, I still look at Cam as a great office of mine. Taught me a lot of football. And, and, you know, I enjoy being around the guy. So I had a feeling that you guys had a good relationship. And we it was an interesting conversation with Greg as well because Cam brought Greg everywhere he went. And, and he was, you know, he, he had great respect for Cam, but he also understood the issues people might have with Cam Cameron. I just, you know, you named all those guys, right? You named JT, and I'm biased. I run JT's foundation. That's my guy. I'm completely biased. But you named JT, you named Zach, you named Truck. Cam lost all those guys, Cleo. Like he, you know, that was pretty well documented. Do you think that the leap from coordinator to head coach, perhaps, that maybe he lost some perspective there as to what he needed to do to recognize who his leaders were? And Because it, it, it seemed like he tried to take that leadership away from those guys. That's a great question. I'm not sure what happened. You know, you can speculate. I was in a locker room and I and I saw things unfold, but I don't know where it exactly went wrong. We were competitive. Uh, the team played hard, and I think early on in that season we did lose some close games. And I think if the fortunes were on the other side and we had won some of those close games, I think the ending product would have been a lot, a lot different. We know in pro sports. When things start going a certain direction, it kind of can get off track. You see it a lot still to this day. So it's but that's where the head man's got it, right? I think I feel like that's why the head man's the head man is that's his. That's where he's supposed to step in and and get it back on the right track. In my opinion, yeah, absolutely. I know I'm tough on the guy, so you know I just want to <laughs> yeah. say at the same time, it wasn't like you know Cam was a young guy; like he had been around the game right. forever. He had coached in right. places. So, you know, I guess he was doing it the best way he could. I can't put myself in his mind and what he was thinking, but just watching it, he came in with a lot of coaching experience, probably not head coaching experience, but a lot of coaching experience, coaching players and developing players. So you would think he would do that at a high level. I don't know where it fell off the tracks. Yeah, man. We don't either, man, but, um, you know, hey. Everything happens for a reason, man. Everything happens for a reason. I have my ideas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, I really actually, I want to go back a little bit to when you actually came to Miami. You know, there's a trade in the middle of 2005 season. And uh, I think we traded, I think, A.J. Feely in a six-round pick or something for you. That's a damn steal, that by is, the way. Yeah. The fact we were able to get rid of yeah, A.J. Feely. Yeah, <laughs> that was interesting right Bring there. Cleo yeah. in here. But you're in the middle of this. You know, you got Dante Culpepper, Joey Harrington, of course, Nick Saban. Uh, this whole mess, you know. Ooh. What was that dynamic like? And, and then think about it. I mean, like Seth talked about earlier, we've had so many quarterbacks here, starting quarterbacks since Danny. You know, I always wonder how much a quarterback coming in can feel some of that weight of Marino's legacy when they come in. You know, I mean, the position already brings a lot. <laughs> you know, you already have to do a lot, but then you have that shadow as well, number 13, man. Talk about that a little bit, how intense that is. Yeah, I think it weighs heavy. I think fans know what great quarterback play look like in Miami, right? Dan Marino did it for a long time, so they know what it's supposed to look like. I was playing with Gus Farratt when I first got there. Gus was the starter. Gus did some good things. Uh, Sage Rosenfeld got a chance to play. He did some good things. When Pep came in, there were high expectations. Yeah. I think that was probably, honestly, the first thing that we probably could have done a better job of put out the flames on all those expectations. 
right? And then Pelp's my dog. Now, me and Pelp still play golf. You know, I just played golf with Pelp the other day. So I was the guy that looked up to Pelp. Pelp had tremendous success in the NFL. He took me under his wing. So for me to be in the room with Pelp as a black quarterback in the NFL and to be in the room mm. with another one, man, that was a great experience. And to see how he conducted himself, how he commanded respect in the locker room, and just how he moved, man, and how the guys respected him. I think it was a, a great opportunity for me to grow as a quarterback and as a player. But I'm not sure where, as far as quarterbacks go, where the disconnect is with the success. Uh, because Pell was a great quarterback. You know, yeah. I would just say he wasn't probably at his best health-wise. He yeah. probably needed another season to get that knee back to full strength. So he probably kind of... And we saw that. He probably probably kind of rushed it on the field. Yes. That's what I always thought because you can still see it sometimes in practice when he would get fatigued. You can still see that knee kind of bother him a little bit. Uh, But he would make incredible throws in practice, man. He would do some incredible things. Now to be like, oh my goodness. I didn't know a guy could throw the football that far. Yeah, you did. You knew that. You saw him throw it to Randy Moss and him like that and Chris Carter, didn't you? In practice, and to see that ball, and Chris Chambers and Marty Booker run up under that ball, man, it was a sight to see. Yeah. But just to kind of figure out what's the disconnect with quarterbacks, I'm not sure. I'm pulling for Tua. I think Tua has a lot of ability. I think now he has a lot of weapons. So I'm looking for huge things this season. I'm not going to put any expectations on them, right? They're in a tough division. But at the same time, I know those guys are going to compete at a high level, and I know they have the talent to actually challenge for the conference title. I like that. I love hearing that. We hope you're right, Cleo. We definitely hope you're right. So, all right, Cleo, look, we've waited long enough for this. We're going to fast forward to 2007. I know we talked a little bit about Cam Cameron earlier, but 2007, he comes riding into town on his white horse. We draft the Ginn family in here in the first round. We draft John Beck in the second round. And then the season's a dumpster fire. We address some of that. Trent Green gets hurt, as you said, and you're thrust into the starting lineup. 13 games up, 13 games down. We can't win a damn game to save our lives. But December 16th, the Baltimore Ravens, the Ravens that you spent some time with, right? The Baltimore Ravens. Brian Billick, I think, was the coach when you had your opportunity there. He's leading that team. They come down here in the South Florida and... We actually had Bart Scott on the show, and Bart is in – that's my guy. He's still disgusted to this day that we're celebrating this one sure win, is. right? But talk about it, man. What do you remember from that game? What do you remember from the walk-off 64-yard touchdown pass to Greg Camarillo that really etched the two of you guys into this franchise's history? What I do remember, that day the 72 Dolphins were there. So I was – I don't, re- I didn't I don't remember that. that. I did not. I was, and I'm not saying all of them, but a yeah, lot of but, them there. Yeah. Enough of a them. A lot of Hall of Famers with the gold jackets on, a lot of Miami Dolphin Hall of Famers with the aqua jacket on, and to shake those guys' hand before the game and look into their eyes and to understand what it meant to put on that uniform. That's what I remember. And I think that when you have that much pride in the organization, that much tradition in the organization, and then you don't have the success that you're working for, it's disappointing. You know, let's just be real. It, it, it was disappointing. 
because you feel like you have more to give to the game. Like we're all competitive. We all want to win, right? And we know for us to continue our careers, we got to win, right? So we know what's on, we, we know what's on the line each and every Sunday. But that day, it was just a day that everything came together. I think seeing Ray Lewis on the other sideline, a Hall of Fame linebacker who was all over the field and just his name speaks for itself and competing. I just think everybody just took their game up to another level, found a way to get that win. But at the same time, you feel like where was this the rest of the season, right? We could have been competing at this type of level. And that's the thing that you could probably take away from it was just the fact that, man, everybody was connected that day. And to be able to get that win, you know, it was a great feeling. We probably celebrated more than <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bart took a real issue with that. He's like, y'all celebrate like you and, won the and Super Bowl. And the crazy thing, Bart's my guy as well because the they went to the Ravens organization the same year. And Bart was there. Oh, wow. Right, with the Ravens. So right. me and Bart had an instant connection <laughs> when we were in camp with the Ravens. And then I'm seeing him after the game. He's like, man, come on, dog. Like, you yeah. <laughs> well, celebrate I love it. One win. So, yeah, we caught a lot of slack for that. But just to get that monkey off our back, man, and, and just feel good about yourself for at least one day, I just think that was pretty cool. But I'll tell you this. I had front row seats in the end zone for the game. And me and my family and all my friends, we had about 20 seats. And right. we we partied in the parking lot afterwards like we won the Super Bowl. You know, they ended up kicking me out the parking lot. I was there so damn long, man. So, yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that, man. I understand where you're coming from, bro. Crazy man, that that was just that was just a crazy day. You know, I, I don't know. It, it's just you want more of that feeling. That's the thing that you know. I just wish we could have had more of that feeling because those guys, man, all my teammates, man, great guys. They worked hard, even though things weren't going the way we wanted them to go. But we all were professionals. We all worked hard on the field, on the practice field. So everybody brought their lunch pail every day in the hard hat, you know, just to make sure we finished it off the right way. So hearing you say that, you know, we had Camarillo on the show and and hearing him relive that moment was magical for sure. But I called him yesterday and we talked about it. And he said, and, you know, as he said on the show, the play that was called had worked a couple times earlier in the game. And he said that's a play he knew from San Diego. And like, you know, that that play is a play that he'll remember for the rest of his life. But it had worked a couple times. And he said, when you called that play, like he knew you were calling his number like he he knew as soon as that play was called that you were looking at him and he said as a young guy he had never scored a touchdown in his life I think he only had like one catch you know only a couple catches in his career at that point he said that he would have freaked out if you were freaking out but you were calm and cool and collected and even though you didn't have this history of having started and won and had you know this rich history of playing the position in the NFL that it felt like you did in that moment and so did what he felt were you feeling that similarly in the sense that you knew that you were going to be looking for Greg in that Absolutely. moment? Absolutely. I think because in that moment of the season, I want to say we probably had traded Chris. Yeah, yeah Chris was gone. Had, to yeah, San Diego. Maybe six <laughs> games into the season. I can't remember. So Chris was gone. And Teddy, who was a rookie, was coming in, figuring it out. You know, yeah. great player. Then you had Marty, who was a veteran. But other than that, there was a need for that next person to step up, and it created an opportunity. And Greg took advantage of it, man. He came in, he was dialed in, always been a smart guy, and he just needed that chance to get on the field. 
and everybody felt confident that he could get the job done. So once he got that opportunity, it was a no doubt for me that if I was going to go to someone, I wasn't going to shy away from Grant. So I feel comfortable trying to get him the ball, and he ran a great route, and he got it into the end zone. But the one thing I would say, I really didn't know he was that fast. (laughs) (laughs) When he broke out, I didn't think he was going to the house, man. But to see him dart through the middle of that field and through the middle of that defense, man, it was just a great feeling. Through a great defense, too, by the way. A great defense. So a couple things. You mentioned Marty. Marty says that he deserves more credit because he kind of took the charge from Ray Lewis and took him out of the play. And, and that, you know, that, that opened it up a little bit. But what Greg said, when he really saw the kind of leader that Cleo Lemon is, is that, you know, he went out and had a good time that night. He hit South Beach. That was his night to be a superstar. And that you guys had this early morning national ESPN interview. And he might not have slept. He might have just gone right from the club to the interview. He said he was a complete wreck. And that you handled that interview like a champ and carried him through. I, re- I remember that because it was, <laughs> it was, I don't know who planned this this interview, but it was early. I'm going to blame Harvey Green. Can we blame <laughs> Harvey Green, my old boss? I'm blaming Harvey. Harvey. But it was an early interview. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, if it wasn't ESPN, I don't know if I would have showed up, right? <laughs> right, right. So I was like, you know what? Let me find some kind of way to show up. And yeah, man, we were both struggling. It was one that you got to turn that being a pro on right there because <laughs> it wasn't any sleep getting in that night. Well, Camarillo relied on his quarterback in that That's one for right. sure. Always, you have to. I love it. Cleo, let's talk about what you're up to now, my man. You know, I know you've done some coaching and you know, we've also read about your visit to the NFL career fair a couple of years ago and how it changed the trajectory of what you want to do in life. Tell us about what you're up to right now, my man. Well, I got into coaching just naturally, right? son of a coach, kind of been around all my whole life. So I just naturally got into it. And when I started coaching high school football here locally in Jacksonville, this is why I've called home ever since 2008. And I started coaching here, doing nonprofit work, and just helping out in the community. Man, I just fell in love with just coaching and mentoring and developing. And from that point, I had an opportunity to do some NFL internships. That was an amazing experience. Got a chance to reconnect with Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. I did an internship with the Steelers. To see Mike T get after it, man, like people don't understand what type of guy that he is, man. He's a dude. So to learn from him and then to go on and and have a chance to intern with the Dallas Cowboys under Jason Garrett and then Mm -hmm. also have a chance to intern under Sean Payton with the Saints, it was just an amazing experience, and it was something I cherished. And as I'm doing those internships, I'm getting opportunities to now go to the college level. So I coached on the college level, mentor, develop young guys. That was an amazing experience. Never felt like I worked a day in my life, right? But then, you know, my kids were getting older. I wanted to be more a part of their lives, develop, raise them, be there for them, and all their events. So I transitioned into the corporate world. So now I've had the opportunity going on two years now with PepsiCo. I'm a sales manager with PepsiCo. And for me, man, it's been a great experience, a learning experience, right? I'm out of my comfort zone doing something that I haven't done before. But there's a great team here. I'm learning a lot about the business and just really coming into my own in the corporate world. And, man, it's just been good for me and my family. I've been able to spend more time with them. Now, it's not like I don't work. I work a ton. But to be able to have that experience 
to grow in the corporate world and then also be there for my family and for my kids. I just think right now I'm happy. My family's happy. Everybody's healthy. I'm just blessed, man. So I don't have any regrets. Football was amazing. It provided for me and my family opportunities to see the world. I got a chance to play in Wembley Stadium over in London. We hung out in a castle and hung out and partied over there and saw the crown jewel. Like, I've done some amazing I hope you weren't partying with Crowder because that didn't end so well in London for him from what we heard. <laughs> well, actually, it didn't end so well Crowder for Crowder and Porter, yeah. Too. Right. <laughs> yeah, so just to look back on it, man, it was an amazing ride. But now, you know, I'm a family man. You know, I find time to, to, to give back in the community. You know, I got my nonprofit, the Clio Lemonade Foundation. We do love things. that. Yeah. So I I'm involved it. with the Boys and Girls Club. So, man, it's just right now I'm being a dad, I'm being a husband, and it's just a great time for the Lemon family right now, man. We're blessed. Cleo, man, it's so funny you say that, man, because so many people ask me, like, OJ, why aren't you coaching? And you just you hit it on the head, man. If I coach, especially at the NFL level, maybe more at the college level, you, you don't see your family. You know what I mean? Some people love that. Yep. Not that they, they don't see their family, but they love coaching. They love being in the office. <laughs> but that whole part, going to a nine-to-five, just so you can spend more time with the family, man. That's critical, man. A lot of guys don't – the people don't understand that because we can both coach the game, but you know, we, we need to really be coaching our kids at home more than anything about life. Absolutely, you know? man. To me, you know, as you get older, you cherish that time. You don't get that time back, man. And to see my baby girl, she's a competitive dancer. To see her on stage and to see, you know, some of that athletic ability, I, I don't think she got it from me. I think she got it from me. Uh, but <laughs> – that come out on stage to see her personality. Now my son is playing basketball and flag football, and we get to hang out. I just think you got to cherish that time, man. And yeah. for me to be able to do that right now, it just warms my heart, man. Sure, uh, that's a beautiful sure. thing. But Juice, we can't sleep on something else either. Here, he's working for PepsiCo. So, Cleo, DJ Preach and I drink Mountain Dew probably at an unhealthy level. Oh, my goodness. But the fact to have they that kind it. of access to some Mountain Dew, like, that <laughs> that warms my heart. I just want to I want to put that I out did, there. I did so, see the big smile, Big Seth. When he said that, you lit up <laughs> he more said than anything Pepsi, today. I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'll drop a pallet of that Dew on you anytime, man. Hey, I'll get, I'm going to hit you the address as soon as we're done here. We got the roll-up now, too, in the office. We'll take a pallet. <laughs> DJ Preach is celebrating in the back right now. If you can hear him, that's, that's fantastic. All right, look, you've been amazing. I don't know if you're on some kind of lunch break, but we're going to be real quick here. Juice, what quarterback doesn't love a good two-minute drill, right? All of them so love it. it that's is that they time. thrive, bro. That's when they thrive. That's when this is a make-or-break time for a quarterback. And here's the deal. We're taking out the coach-to-quarterback communication out of, out of the headset. It's just you at the line in the fish tank two-minute drill. We're going to start the clock. I hope you're ready. Because, uh, well, of course you're ready. You don't have to – what is it, Juice? You don't have to get ready. You don't have to stay ready. All right. So here it is. We're gonna, I'm going to start the clock right now. First question, best lemon joke you have ever heard with regards to your name? Oh, the best lemon joke? I'm not going to say it's a joke, but people always used to crack on me, right? They always used to do this stuff with lemon. And I used to tell my boys this all the time. I said, this is the sweetest lemon you ever take. There it is. I like it. <laughs> all right. All right. I like it. Most quarterback-friendly league you played in and why? Oh, the NFL, man. There's nothing like it. Right. On the stage, and there's nothing like an NFL football. It's the best football in the world. I love throwing that ball. Best athletes in the world. There you go. Favorite football city you've ever played in, regardless of league? Miami. Yeah. 
I would say why, but we know why. We're in Miami, <laughs> so I like that. That's what we want to hear. I love the fans. Man, it's a great atmosphere. I love it down there. All right. Quarterback, teammate, you learned the most from. Or it could be either one. Quarterback or teammate, you learned the most from. Quarterback or teammate? Oh, man, that's a great question. It's a lot of good ones. I would say Drew Brees. Okay. Can't argue with that. I get that. All right, we're going to flip the script a little bit. If we were going to make the lifetime television story of your football career, who plays Cleo Lemon? Who plays Cleo oh, Lemon? Yes. Man, Pause I don't the clock. know, man. Um, you know what? I know it's a little controversial right now with him. I got to go with my man Will Smith. Will Smith, huh? Okay. okay. Rock, man. He, he played Ali. He did it great. Man, if he can play Ali, I know he can play Cleo Lemon. <laughs> this is true and you just told us a little something about yourself there cleo so i like that you told us something without saying something <laughs> all right here we go if camarillo was covered on that third and eight at the miami 36 in overtime who would have gotten the ball in that situation greg camarillo no matter what covered or not the thing that i learned if certain guys in the league if they're covered they're still open i've seen some amazing catches made by some of these great receivers that when you go back and look at the film, the quarterback probably said, you know what, I probably shouldn't have thrown it there. But guess what? If OJ's running around, OJ's getting the ball. My, my <laughs> teammates felt that way, and they hated it. <laughs> OJ, were you ever covered? Never. I'm 7-11, always open. There it is. And Greg Camarillo apparently is in that same status there, Juice. I like it. All right, we got time for one more. This is going to be a real tough one for you. Coke or Pepsi? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do the do. There it is. Do the do. do. I like it. That is the two-minute drill. Cleo Lemon, you have not disappointed. You've been absolutely fabulous. I appreciate you giving us your time, man. That's so good, man. And hearing your story, right? Because we only knew this snapshot of your life. So to hear this whole story was fabulous. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate the time. Just been a, a really good time, fun time hanging with you guys. And wish you guys much success. And I know you guys are doing some great things, so just continue. Yeah, man. Since you're in Jacksonville, man, we'll get you back down here, all right, for some some alumni stuff. I'll be down there next month, actually. I got a trip planned in Miami. I'm always in and out. We're not far away, so I'm always down there either with with the fellas playing golf or with the family hanging out. So, man, I'm always in and out in Miami, man. Love it. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Hey, man, thanks for diving in, Cleo. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate you. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, rocking with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank, Subject, you know it's all about the fans. And if you ready for that water 
time to dive in. Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fins. And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fins. You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive in. Look at that fish tank. Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank. It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank.